Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. So, as we're continuing with our teaching through the book of Philippians, um, it's, it's a series we've titled, uh, at least what I'm preaching on today, is Staying Angry in a Happy World. Staying Angry in a Happy World. So... Wait, oh, hey, honey, I, I made the wrong message. I made the completely wrong message. I'm sorry about that. So it's actually living happy in a world gone mad. So I'll make some adjustments here. And we'll make it work. We'll make it work. I got what I got. So that, that, we're getting started like that, yes, I know. So we're looking at how do we live happy in a world gone mad. And, and for today's message, I want to share one that I've called recognizing and receiving. Recognizing and receiving. You know, sometimes I think that we can receive a gift and not recognize the value of it because we put too much basis on how much it cost, where it came from, what it meant, you know, to the person that bought it, where they get it. But you know what? Some of the best gifts I got had nothing to do with their monetary value. You know, you're growing up, uh, I had a good relationship with my old man, still do to this day. And, you know, one of the things I used to do watching as a kid, I used to love, you know, seeing things my dad wore, things he did, the way he spoke, the way he carried himself. You know, little things like when my, my old man served in the military, uh, you know, quite a few years ago, back in the 50s, so we're going back a little ways. So he used to always have these neat old military shirts and jackets, and they were smelly, moth-eaten, but it didn't matter. I knew that he wore that once, serving, and I know he did stuff with it. I wanted it. My dad would give me hand-me-down shirts all the time, and I'd wear them around, and my wife would be looking at me going, seriously, you're in high school. No offense to my dad, but you're wearing old man clothes, sweetheart. But I didn't care. It was my dad. I loved it. Even into adulthood, not too long ago, a couple years ago, he calls me up and he says, Hey, Rich, I'm getting ready to get rid of my old toolbox. Do you want it? Now, mind you, it doesn't really carry any monetary value. I can go to Home Depot and get a nice brand new one, you know, with you know, ball bearings in it, rollers, nice soft closed drawers, but nah. Yeah, dad, I'll take it. I wanted that toolbox. I used to watch that toolbox as a kid. My old man would pull the tools out. I had no idea what he was doing with them, but he was working on something, and I was there, and I wanted it. So I gladly took it, throughout the toolbox I had, and put this one in my garage. Why? Because I recognized the value of the gift I was receiving, not based on what it was, but who I was getting it from, because it meant so much more to me than anything somebody could buy, or anything somebody could do for me, or anything somebody could give me, other than where it came from. It came from the heart, and it came from someone I loved who cared about me. And that's kind of what we're looking at when we're going through this series. Are we recognizing things that we can use or have to live a happy life in what sometimes seems like a mad world? All you have to do to realize we live in a mad world is jump on Facebook, Instagram, put on the news, and you're blown away by some of the stories that come out. I simply look at my wife every time she shares something with me, and I go, what is wrong with people? What is wrong with this world? We live in a mad, crazy world. But yet we can be happy in it. And there's a way that we can be happy in it. And that's what the series is trying to focus on. Now, one of the, if you guys want to start turning there, I'm going to be reading out of the book of Philippians, chapter 3. It's going to be the whole chapter. So if you guys want to start turning there. And we're looking at what it is as Paul's writing this letter to the church in Philippi, as he's encouraging them, as he's trying to keep them on the walk of Christ. Because typically what happens is, you know what happens when men get a hold of the message of God and the work of Jesus Christ? we have a real good tendency to mess it up. We have a real good tendency to start interjecting our thoughts and our visions on it, and we want to take away the simple purity and beauty of a perfect gift. And that's kind of one of the things Paul's working on here with the Philippians. So if you guys are there, we're going to pick it up 
starting in chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to read through the whole thing. And it reads, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning the zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is the law, blameless. It sounds like a really you know, modest guy right there. He's telling you everything about him. So he's laying it all out there for you to hear. You know, picking up verse 7 now. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Moving on to verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in the following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Take a breath. Okay. So Paul's going through a plethora of things just in this one chapter. Amen. So, you know, the one thing I want to look at in the first point is your pedigree is not your purpose. So your pedigree is not your purpose. Well, what you have to understand is, okay, just to give you a little history about this chapter. When Paul starts off in this chapter, he's laying out what I would call his pedigree. He's telling them all his specialties, all his accomplishments. Because in the Jewish culture, you have to understand, they looked at themselves by judging their society and their morals and their norms and then using that to then view other societies. For those of you that enjoy the word of the day, that's called ethnocentrism. I only looked it up. I really don't know what it means until I looked it up. Write it down. Use it in a sentence. That is basically when they would take and look at other societies and make preconceived notions about that based on themselves. You have to understand, to the Jewish people back then, they were born being the children of God. That's what they were known as. They availed themselves to that level. They were known. They were born. You are the children of God. You are my chosen ones. That's something they were born with. That was their pedigree. So that's who they were. And then they would look at that and then look at others, such as 
the rest of us would be known as Gentiles. And that's what it's referring to is when it talks about there of mentioning dogs. They would refer to the Gentiles as dogs because they were beneath them. That's just the honest truth. I'm, and I'm not saying any of my Jewish friends feel that now, but that is what is written here. That in their society, they looked at the Gentiles as dogs. They didn't even think that they should be able to rightfully have relationship with Christ like them. Because remember, all the first Christians were Jewish. All the apostles were Jewish. They were converts who started following Jesus Christ. So when they looked at the others, they were like, no, 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 no. Don't be taking this beautiful gift that God gave to us and sharing it with the Gentiles out there. They first have to become one of us. That's where he mentions in there about the mutilation of the flesh, circumcision. They believe that if you wanted to come to Christ as a Gentile, you would have to be circumcised, then become Jewish, then that would give you the right to receive the message of Christ. So glad I didn't have to live back in that time, because I'll tell you, that would be just horrible, because I didn't come to Christ until at least 30-something years old. So, yeah, pull that off on a young adult night and tell me how it goes. So, but that's what they had. That's what they had to look at. And here is Paul laying out this pedigree. Man, when it comes to religion, I'm a Pharisee. When it comes to my zeal, I persecuted the church. He took it down. This is a man who laid it out for them saying, in the upper echelon of the Jewish culture, I'm there. I'm the man. I've done all this. Highly educated, citizen of Rome. Multiple accolades he's got there. And he's laying them all out there. He's not laying him out there to be boastful. He's not laying him out there to be arrogant. He's not laying him out there so you say, I can't even talk to that guy. He just went way too much. Because he lays all that out and then right after surmises that it is all rubbish and loss for knowing Christ. That he would give it all up in a moment to know Christ. That is what he's laying that out for. That's why he's trying to do that. He's trying to show people all this importance. How would that relate to us? Maybe today your pedigree might be because you were born into a family with good financial means, all good, nothing wrong with that. Maybe you come from a long bloodline of people that have been very influential in society. Maybe you have a really long resume that you could do the same thing. You could lay it all out there for somebody and go, I did all that. That's what I have. And there's nothing wrong with that. But are you willing to sacrifice that kind of stuff that you think makes you happy for the pure, true joy of knowing Christ? Would you consider that lost when the last day comes as you take your last breath and the only thing you have to boast of is the fact that I did a lot of stuff on this side of heaven when I didn't even know my Lord and Savior? That is what Paul is saying. What is it worth to you? It is lost. Not that it's a problem that he had all these things. What was he using it for and what would it mean to him and what would he do to attain it? Persecuting the church with his own hands, judging others with his own mind and soul. All that loss for the simple fact of knowing Christ. And I think sometimes that we allow that to get in our way of finding that happiness and that joy. We allow that fact that we have this long list of things that we allow to define who we are. That's my happiness. That's what's going to make me who I am. That's what's going to get me to the top and get me remembered when my last day comes on this earth. But it's all loss when we're done on this side. It's nothing to Christ because it's better to know him to be with him and to work for him than to work for ourselves and to avail ourselves. And that's what we have to remember. You know, I think sometimes we, we, we have this, this concept that when we become a Christian, we have to be certain ways, we have to do certain things. 
you know, that that pedigree, that resume, that whoever we are defines us, and it kind of keeps us from being happy. Uh, you know, just, just a, a little bit, you know, background on me, you know, I'm, you know, I'm pretty much a quiet guy, very subtle, I'm very easygoing, I'm, uh, I'm very shy, I'm not very outgoing, I'm not sure why you guys are laughing at me, I'm, I'm very sensitive. So, you know, I, I think sometimes that we mix up a couple things, and I, I think this truly robs us of joy when it comes to Christ. We allow that pedigree and, and that, that definition of ourselves to then translate into our Christian life. So, what am I, what am I talking about? Where am I going with this? Well, I, I think sometimes we have too much of a tendency to mix up who and how. Who and how. You know, we, we, we try and look for this happiness when we look at what we're supposed to be defined as. Like, I'm not going to lie, you know, years ago before I came to Christ, you know, I was a much more aggressive person. I won't necessarily say angry, but I was a very aggressive guy. Uh, you know, when I would, at work, uh, I would drive the fire truck, and I would love to hang out the window and tell people how great I thought they were driving was and what I thought of them. Uh, I usually use several adjectives to describe their driving abilities. So that's kind of how my attitude was. Uh, my, my, my nickname around the station with a lot of the guys was train wreck. Um, and, and, and not because my life was a wreck. That came later. Um, at the time, it's just I was called train wreck because when I came into the building, you knew I was there. That was never a concern. It was like listening to a train crashing, just all kinds of destruction going on. Wow, Rich is here. So, and that was me. You know, I was the type of person that my wife would tell me, you know, I used to have the handlebar mustache. I used to even shave my head bald for no reason and everything. And my wife would tell me, she goes, you know, you look really scary and you intimidate a lot of people. Which my reaction, who's intimidated by me? Who? I want to see them. And she goes, exactly. You're, you're just an angry guy. So, but that was me. That's who I was. You know, I was coming in and everybody knew I was there. That was rich. Always joking, always having a good time, doing my thing. Just very aggressive about it. Well, the truth is when I became a Christian, I thought that I had to change everything about me. And, I, you know, sometimes I think we take it a step too far. I think sometimes we can, we can make ourselves unhappy in our Christian walk by trying to take what God made us to be and manipulating it because we think it has to be a certain way. Who you are is not how you are. Take, for instance, Paul. Paul was a man who, as a Jew, was a Pharisee, a persecutor of the church, a zealot, all these things. I have a pretty good feeling he was an outgoing guy. He had to be pretty much a type of guy who wasn't afraid to stand up in front of a crowd and persecute people. I don't think he was a shy guy. So when God opened his eyes to true relationship with him, to a true life with Christ, did he change who God made him to be, or did he change how he used that gift to the rest of the world? He didn't change who he was. Goodness gracious, this is the guy who, while he's writing this letter, is shackled to a wall in a prison saying, hey, everybody, joy to God. I'm, I'm sorry, that's, that's a guy who's got some great temperament. Here's a guy who's telling people, hey, everything I have is loss for Christ. I'm willing to go to jail over and over and take beatings for the name of Christ. That's not a shy guy. That is exactly the same person who God made him to be. But how he is acting is what has changed. And I know that I, for myself, and I'm sure many of you, when we first give our life to Christ and we, we, we change and we almost start putting on this new suit, this new shell that's very tight and constricting. So instead of being the guy who would go into the station, making a ton of noise, morning guys, morning. I'm just getting my cup of coffee here. Yes, good morning to you guys. Hey Rich, you hear that joke? No, no, no. I don't joke like that anymore. I'm a Christian. 
And then, so, you know, and, and, and I'm not going to lie. They would sit there, and I'm, like I said, I, 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 love to, I love to crack jokes at people when they say something. Somebody would say something, oh, I can't say a comment. Oh, boy, I, wanted, I would call my wife, honey, I want to say something so bad. I had a great one. She, you can't, okay. And I put myself in the shell almost. And I realized, hold on, time out, time out. Who did God make me to be? Did, did God make a mistake? Because if we truly believe that God does not make mistakes, then God did not make a mistake in the way he created me or you. But how we take that creation and use it, that is all on our shoulders. And that's what we need to remember. Even in Romans 9, picking up verse 20, it reads, But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? So I want you to ask yourself, have you ever found yourself in your Christian walk almost telling yourself, man, I know God loves me. I know the fact that Christ has saved my marriage, saved my family, saved my life. I, you know, I, I have the gift of eternal life. That's awesome. But I am just not happy. Am I trying to be something God doesn't want me to be? Am I taking it and I'm putting these parameters around it going, God must tell me I want to live this way because I have to make sure that everybody knows I'm a Christian. Not by the way I live, but the way I just present myself? No. Negative. You can have your personality, who you are, but do not allow the evil spirits to tell you how you are. Do not allow the sin nature to tell you how to act, to tell you what to do. That is the problem. Live with who you guys are. Live with who God made you to be. Use those as gifts. Because I can tell you right now, if all of us start clamming up, putting on that super tight Christian suit, we're going to get nobody. We're going to make zero impact in this community and in this world because the world out there doesn't want to know how great you are. They want to know how great they can become. And if all I show them is, this is me now, they're going to go, yeah, I don't want that. I don't think I want that at all. So once again, don't us pervert this because we put our own thoughts and our own processes on it. Go with who you are and live with it. So another point I want to look at as we, we move down in the verses here is receiving gifts doesn't give you bragging rights. Receiving gifts doesn't give you bragging rights. So what do I mean by that? Well, I'm sure we've all had it, just like I was saying a minute ago, you know, you start walking into work the next week, and here comes, you know, good old Johnny, holier than thou, going to tell me how he did, and we walk in, and we start looking all different, and then we start inviting people to church, and we look, and they go, yeah, <laughs> you know what, no thanks. Yeah, if, uh, dude, if I walk in your building, it's probably going to burn to the ground and fall down. Oh, no, it won't. It won't fall down. We love everybody. Come on in, you know, and that's what we tell people. Are you listening to what they're telling you? That's their way of telling you, I'm afraid I'm going to walk in and be judged the second I walk in the door. They're trying to make light of it. They're trying to sit there and go, because I used to say the exact same thing. So I'm telling you, that's what a lot of people think. That's what I used to think. Guys would always tell me, oh, I, I can't go in. Yeah, bro, I'm all tatted up. Okay, I got you. Well, I, I, place hasn't burned down yet, and I've been in there for years. So it's come close a couple times, but not yet. Not yet. So what are people telling you when they tell you that? They're worried about walking in the door, and they're going to be judged the minute they walk in. They're worried about going in, and you're going to tell them how horrible their life is and everything else, and you're going to judge them. Why? Because now I've taken the gift that was given to me by Christ, and I'm bragging about it like it's mine, like I did anything to deserve it. What did I have to do with it? 
you know, a, a kind of an example, a couple examples. You know, when I was a kid, you know, I told you guys about working with my dad with the tools and all. And we'd be out there sometimes, and, you know, he'd be working on the car or something in the driveway, and, you know, he'd send me back into the garage. All right, Rich, go grab me this. Go grab me a screwdriver. Go to the, no, no, not the flathead, the Phillips. Go back, and I, and I would go back and forth with the tools, and I'd go back, I'd get him stuff. You know, I'd go get him a drink when he was hot and thirsty. And then when my mom called out because she had some other chore for me to do, oh, no, Mom, Dad and I are working on the car. We're, we're, we're busy. He, he can't do without my help. He can't do. He needs me. I got to be there. We're, we're working on the car. We ain't working on nothing. He's the one down there sweating, using superlatives and all kinds of stuff to describe the work he's doing, and dirty and sweaty. I'm just running back and forth being the tool boy, you know? But I'm taking bragging rights for it. Or even one better, we can all relate. Well, not all. Most of us can relate to this. I know I can, especially with men. You go to your, fa- your favorite sporting event, especially if it's football. You go out in the parking lot, set up a grill, do a little tailgating, being carnivorous and foraging on many dead animals, partaking of many non-alcoholic adult beverages, <laughs> maybe even putting on team colors because you look good in paint. Then after several hours of that, you make your way into the stadium consuming more beverages of whatever kind, screaming and yelling, sweating, watching very big men beat each other on the field. Then when your team comes out victorious, what's the first thing you turn around and tell your buddies behind you? We won! Yes, we won. We did absolutely nothing. Half of us at that time were out of breath when we went to the bathroom during halftime. (laughs) And now all of a sudden... We won? What are you bragging about? You had absolutely nothing to do with their victory in the field. Uh, We're the 12th man. Eh, Good for you, Seattle. I got that. We're the 12th man. Good for you. The most you did was as you're going out to your beat-up car, putting your old thing in, he's driving by in the Bentley, and you're going, I love you. Love you, man. We won, bro. We won. And we did nothing for that. But yet we boast about it. We boast about it. What if the difference was when we take the pressure off ourselves that I have nothing to boast about, but I can boast all day long about the love and the work of Christ. I can boast about him all day long, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's what Paul's talking about here. I can boast of nothing because all those accolades that he had, all that stuff that he had when the day comes would mean nothing. But if I boast about the name that gives eternal life to even bring one person to him, I can boast about Christ all day long because it ain't me. It ain't on my shoulders. It's not my gift. That's what I think we forget sometimes. You get a gift at Christmas, it's yours. Possession. Nine-tenths of the law. You take it, it's yours. Take your brother's present when he wasn't looking. I don't care. But when you receive the gift of Christ, it is not yours. It is not ours to hold. It is yours to pass on because it's endless. There's no limit. It's not like, but if I give it away, I'm going to be missing some. Negative. It's an endless gift that just keeps on giving. So I think that sometimes what happens is we actually put an unhappiness on ourselves because then we start wondering, and I've been there, no, no show of hands, any of you that have ever tried to share the gospel message and maybe you were wearing that really skin-tight, brand-new Christian suit, why is nobody listening to me? Why is nobody receiving this message? It's so awesome because maybe you're not delivering it in the right way. Maybe you're not showing people that I am just a truly happy and joyous person. 
Because if three months ago, this is the same group of friends that we were drunk at a bar together and having a blast and we're having a great time, waking up the next morning and praying to the porcelain God, if that's how you spent some of your nights, and then now you're going to come by a few months later and you're going to tell them, you guys really need to come into church. You need to know this Jesus guy. He's going to save your life and stop you from doing those horrible things you do because you're wrong. And by the way, in case you didn't know, you're going to burn in hell. <laughs> now understand, I'm not making light of the fact that, yes, that is the end result. That is the honest truth. Yes, if we do not move away from our sinful life and give our life to Christ, yes, we will end up in the place we don't want to be rather than sitting at the feet of our Father. We'll be looking for water to quench our burns. That is the truth. But I'm telling you right now, that is not how you win a soul showing that you're a happy person in Christ. All I'm showing you is I'm taking the gift that was given for me. I've made myself all hoity-toity and snooty. I'm too good for you. And maybe one day if you receive the gift of Christ, then you can have the pleasure of hanging out with me once more because I'm that good. I'm sorry. We do it. I did it. Most of us do do it. And we need to be very careful because we're actually robbing ourselves of happiness, but yet worse than that, we're robbing others of that joy. We're robbing others from coming in to know Christ because I'm too good for you, which I am, but that's besides the point. So <laughs> love you guys. So the third point I want to bring up is that don't waste the gift he gave you. So we don't want to waste the gift he gave us. So Paul at the end of this chapter talks about the fact that, you know, we need to be kingdom-minded, that it's all for loss. All this stuff that I've attained, all the stuff I got, it's all for loss just for the pure joy of knowing Jesus Christ. And then he talks about being kingdom-minded. Now, once again, this is where we just have to be real with ourselves. A lot of times we give our life to Christ, we, we start doing things, and it's one of those terms that we may be able to say, yes, I'm kingdom-minded. But how hard and how strong of a hold does the world have on us that, yeah, a lot of times that's just lip service. That I can tell somebody I'm kingdom-minded, but do I live like I'm kingdom-minded? Do I live ready for there? You know, not that I listen to country music because I only listen to only Christian bands. <laughs> right, honey? Was that, was, yes, okay. I don't listen to any country music. So, but there's a very famous country song that one of the verses goes, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. And I used to sing that out. Everybody wants to go. You know, I thought, oh, wow, what a cool song. But let me ask you, how many of us actually feel that way? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because sometimes I said, yeah, I gave my life to Christ. I'm kingdom-minded, but I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes it scared the heck out of me. Well, what's it going to be like? Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? I know I love Christ. I know God's there. I know God's Okay. Okay, I'm, I'm going down a wormhole of stuff here because, you know, you start thinking because why? We don't fully understand it. But sometimes I think that we live that way, that we say, yes, God, ready for all this. But are you ready for that? Are you really that kingdom-minded where you can say, so, so let's look at it. Let, let, let's, let's analyze that for one second. That God gave us this perfect gift that we should live in complete happiness and joy knowing that regardless of what happens the second I walk out of those doors, my life, my soul, my spirit, my eternal place is spoken for already. It's already been presented to me and promised to me by the creator of this universe. But I don't live that way sometimes. Man, what kind of house am I going to live in? What kind of car am I going to drive? 
wow, I'm living the American dream. I'm in debt up to my eyeballs and I'm smiling about it because I think this is normal. I think this is how I'm supposed to live. I mean, why would I want to go to heaven now? Who's going to pay my mortgage? Who's going to pay my bills? Who's going to get sick for me? Who's going to have to go to the hospital? And then you start realizing, why? Being kingdom-minded, I, I think, is something that we get lost on every once in a while. I think sometimes we miss the mark on being kingdom-minded. It's not to sit here and say you have to hate living here, but you cannot be so attached that you would think like that song, that, yeah, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to go now. I'll go when God calls me, and not a day before, not a day after, period. It's as simple as that. So I don't even worry about it. I live every day to live every day, and when God says, hey, Rich, come on home, oh, gee, hey, mortgage company, I wish, you know what, I'm sorry, I wish I had a precursor of when I was going to heaven, because I would make a lot of phone calls and just tell a lot of people that Jesus loves you. And no, I'm not paying my mortgage anymore. I'm out of here. Keys are in the mailbox. I gotta, I'm moving to a mansion for free. So, but, so when God's telling us to be kingdom-minded, what's he saying? Is he saying you got to hate your time on earth? Well, heck no. Just like we're teaching in the series. We can be happy in a world gone mad because I'm not happy for this world but I'm happy about what I can do in this world because I know that whatever this blip on the screen is, however long I live, it's just a little blip on the screen in the time of eternity. The rest of the time is going to be with God anyway. So why not make the most of this? You know, yeah, I'll go 900 miles an hour because you know, when I go home to heaven, I ain't got to worry about it no more. God's got a beautiful body for me, much better than this. I don't have to go to Orange Theory four days a week to keep up with my wife anymore and all that stuff. I can just go up and do God's work. It's going to be great. But I think sometimes that we sit here and we almost create this barrier. Well, no, I'm kingdom-minded now. I'm a newborn Christian. Therefore, I cannot like and enjoy living in this world. And I have to let everybody I know know that we're not living for here. I'm living for the kingdom. Come have fun with me in church. You're going to love it. Now. I'm sorry. I was down in the Keys yesterday on my in-law's boat, sitting on the beach, watching people come on up, blaring music, talking to people I don't know. How you doing? Hey, nice to meet you. You want a beer? No thanks, but thank you for offering. And I say that. Why? Because I don't want to look at this guy and go, excuse me? Do I look? Honey, get the Bible out of the boat. Pull up my Bible app. You didn't know I'm a pastor at a church? Offer me a beer? No. Of course I said no, and I said thank you. Ended up talking to the guy. We told him, yeah, well, actually, we go to a church here. He lives actually a few blocks away from here. So, you know, if, if I want to turn that guy off, you can't open a door like that. I can be happy while I'm living here. It's okay. God made a beautiful creation. So just to sum it up, just a little favor. Just realize some of the points that I put out today. Don't worry about what you're defined as by the world. Know what you're defined as by God. You're worth a whole lot. Because if he was willing to bankrupt heaven for us, whew, I'm not here to judge God, but man, I wouldn't put it all on the line for me because I'm messed up. But yet he did. Know that. Know that you can be happy in this world because you don't have to brag or take credit for any of it. You just got to share it. Take that gift. Share it with others. But share it happily. Let them know that you're saved. And being saved doesn't make you better than anybody else. It just gives you a better address when we go to heaven. That's all.
And above all else, just remember, keep giving the gift. Keep sharing the gift. Make the most. I would want my life to be defined, not by the number of years I take breath on this earth. If God lives, lets me live to be 100 years old, which I don't think he will, only because at a certain point my family will push me down the stairs to get rid of me. My wife keeps wanting to take a cruise with a balcony room with no cameras nearby. I don't know why. If I go on a cruise and don't come back, it was her. I love you. So, live like that. Don't let your definition of your life be defined by, wow, he lived to be a ripe old age, and that's it. I would rather be defined by the impact I have with the short life I'm given than the number of years of doing nothing. So don't worry. What's the next line? Don't worry. Be happy. I know I had to be cheesy with that. Come on. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, guys. So, but for all of us out there, there's some that may not know that. There's some of us that can laugh about this and have a good time about this because we know we have a relationship with Christ. And we know it's a journey that we're never going to get perfectly right, but we're going to keep working at it. But I can bet money there's some out there that have been sitting there, maybe been coming to church for a while, maybe it's your first time here. Maybe you've heard about this whole God thing, Jesus thing, and maybe you finally decided to walk in the doors because you realized the building wasn't going to burn down. And you realize that there's a God in heaven that loves you more than anything and gave everything. And you have to do nothing but receive it. Just receive the gift. So if everybody will bow their head and close their eyes, if there's anybody out there, anybody, that you're not sure of your relationship with God, that you have never fully said, God, I receive the fact that Jesus Christ, I receive him into my heart, that he died for my sins so that I can have eternal life with you. If you do not have a relationship, if you don't know where you're going to end up when that last day comes, then I encourage you, don't wait for next time. Start now. So if you don't know that, if you want to have a relationship with Christ, through Christ, if you want to know your Father in heaven and know how much he loves you, on the count of three, all I'm going to do is ask you to raise your hands. One, two, three. Raise your hand. I see you there. God bless you. I see you there. God bless you. God bless you. I see you guys. God bless you. Anyone else? I see you guys. God bless you. God bless you guys. Anyone else? Anyone else? For everybody, while we have our eyes closed and our heads bowed, I'm going to lead you guys in a prayer. I want the whole church to join in because we're a family. So you're not doing this alone. I don't want anybody to be singled out. You're not praying to me. You're not praying to the person next to you. You're just praying to your heavenly father. And you're just confessing your sins. You're confessing this new life that will start this moment that fast, that quick, that easy. So everybody, if you'll join in with me, say, dear God, thank you for today. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins, for giving me eternal life. Come into my heart. Change me. Make me whole. I want to walk with you all the days of my life. And I want to follow you and do your work. It's in your precious name we pray. And all God's people say, amen. Amen. We hope today's message has encouraged you. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel or visit us at calvaryconnect.com for more information. Till next time.